0: Welcome to another episode of the Gay Bar archive Show, where we explore gay history, one bar at a time. I'm your host, Art Smith, and joining us today is legendary disco diva, Pamela Stanley. So welcome to the show, Pamela.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> it's really exciting to have you here. I've, I've interviewed all kinds of people. Uh, bar owners, and entertainers, and patrons, and managers, celebrities, but um, you kind of fall into multiple categories there. I do. (laughs) You do. Well, you're definitely a celebrity. I mean, you've definitely been a fixture in the music uh, scene for quite a number of years, and I understand that your very first uh, performance was around 10 years old, With your sister, am I correct on that?
1: Uh, My sister and my brother, we were, I was actually seven. She was 10 and James was 13. And we started entering contests around, uh, around the area. And then when I was 10, we went on, um, do you remember the Jerry Lewis telethon? Absolutely. We got asked to be on that telethon and we went on the telethon and performed like two in the morning. And then a man calls the next, next day, and he, um, we got a recording
0: contract. And you're, and the name of your group with your sister was the Ladybugs. Is that right?
1: That was one of them. We were Jimmy, Sandra, Pam. They kept changing. Then we were the, the Coquettes, and then we were the Ladybugs. Because <laughs> of the Beatles. <laughs> we Remember the Beatles? They wanted to make us the Lady, And they made us sing with an English accent. And I have those recordings. I could send you those recordings.
0: That would be That's amazing.
1: Hysterical.
0: That would be amazing. And to put this in perspective for the people who are watching this, we're talking about 1962. That's right. So we're talking about, you know, JFK. We're talking yeah. about the Beatles. Um, we're talking about eight years before Elton John ever performed in the United States. Wow. We are going back in time, almost 60 years.
1: I know. Who's counting?
0: I know who's counting. <laughs> Only a number.
1: I can't believe how long I've been singing. It's, it's so second nature to me that the I always tell people that they go, when do you relax? When do you relax? And I go, the minute my foot hits that stage, that's when I relax.
0: Now, obviously, um, the real kickoff to your career was in the late seventies with your, you know, disco hits coming out and really getting out there on tour and making a name for yourself. Everybody knew who you are right. and, um, as part of that career, you know, and of course, because of the way the disco scene was, you performed in a lot of gay bars.
1: Oh, I, I can't tell you. I mean, everywhere I go, people will go, did you perform at the Eagle in Columbus, Ohio? And I'm like, yeah, that was me. (laughs) Did you perform perform in Kansas City? I mean, I swear I have performed almost most K bars around the country. (laughs) I've been there. I'm talking, I've done a lot of uh, Eagles all over the place. One, One time, my very first job at one of the Eagle bars, it was Columbus. I got there and they had no stage because people weren't doing stages. So they took a bunch of beer, you know, that you carry beer cases and they piled them on top. And my stage was maybe two feet by four feet. And they piled these beer things and I, I got up on the top and the, and the DJ passes through this microphone. You know how they used to talk in the microphone? It was like this big.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And that was, I sang at the Columbus with that microphone. I mean, I have been through it all.
0: Well, you have definitely paid your dues because, you know, it's not like you came out as a diva and had no. uh, a grand stage to start with. You worked your way through yes. every level of performing. Now, I understand you have a particularly memorable story about one iconic bar in Los Angeles called the Blue Parrot. Oh
1: my
2: Why don't
0: you tell us about what it was like to go to LA and perform at the Blue Parrot?
1: Okay, so I'm I'm thrilled. You know, I've been signed to EMI America and I go out to Los Angeles. And so they go, okay, we're going to put you at this bar in, I call the blue parrot in Los Angeles. I said, Oh, okay. So (laughs) I get there and remember I'm one of the first ladies of disco. I'm in that book. I have a book. Oh, I have to send you that book too. Anyway. um, I was one of the first people that were performing when disco was coming out. So they really weren't prepared for live performance. So I get to the Blue Parent and they go, okay, well, we're getting ready. So they bring out a piece of plywood, like four by eight, and they slap it on the pool table. It was thick. It helped me. And so they handed me a microphone connected with a wire and I had to get up on that pool table. And then they had the, the bar lamp, you know, the, the billiard lamp around it. So I remember singing, it was, this is hot was my first song that came out in 79. So this is like 79. And I'm out there going, this is hot. And don't you forget it around the table. This is hot. (laughs) That was my first. And I did, you can only do three songs. So I did, this is hot. And two songs from my album at the time. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's when you think back of all. um, I got to open for Tina Turner, which was really a really great thing in Houston at the Astrodome. That was a memorable. I saw her without her hair.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, my goodness! If you she had were, taken yeah, pictures you'd have was. if you had taken pictures, you'd have millions of dollars in residuals coming from that.
1: I tell you you know they wouldn't let you have any pictures.
0: <laughs>
1: I was lucky to see her. <laughs> they were very protective back then, and that's you know it was real funny' there was a few of them um bet Medler I had opened for, and they wouldn't let me meet her beforehand a few at the times, and I thought you know. I don't care who i where I am or whatever I'm doing if anybody wants to meet me and they want to, they're getting a picture, they're getting an autograph. it made a big impact on me because I don't know why they wouldn't let they were very protective back then, so since then everybody's gotten open, but I was disappointed, but I finally did meet bet <laughs> <laughs> She was great
0: she's yeah she great. she's been around for a minute too.
1: oh yeah. Well, you know, I worked the, back, the bath houses in New York, the same one she did. You know, I've done bath houses. I've done uh, clothing optional campgrounds.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you have I, a special wardrobe for that?
1: Uh, well, I will tell you honestly, I did not know you could decorate that area. <laughs> 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 but no, I made sure. And, you know, I, I made sure that they didn't ask me. <laughs> they said, keep your clothes on. <laughs> so no, I didn't to have to special work. <laughs> but it was fun because the uh, Backstreet was such a big club down in uh, Fort Lauderdale. Huge club, like 2,000, 3,000 people would be there. Um, Studio 54 in New York. Went, oh, you know what's really great about Studio 54? You, you sang on 20 feet above the dance floor. And they had a catwalk up there. And so you would walk out on the catwalk and you, they removed the bar so the people could see you. So you're literally 20 feet up with a 12 foot span and nothing in front of you. So you wanted to make sure you didn't misstep. And it was, they had, my first time was new was Christmas Eve. And I'm thinking, who is gonna come out on Christmas Eve? It was packed. I did Christmas Eve and Christmas night, both nights. And it was quite exciting to play Studio 54. And you know what? The Saint in New York. Did you ever hear about The Saint?
0: Oh, yes. The, New York had so many iconic clubs over the years.
1: Oh, let me tell Oh, I played on 12th Avenue, one of my first, before Studio 54. I never know. I went down and there was this one club called, like, The Anvil. And uh, what a club like this, I forget what that was called. Yeah. <laughs> <It was, laughs> I have played some clubs. (laughs) Ask me a club, I've probably been in.
0: So did you ever play on the stage at the Palladium?
1: Yes, once.
0: That must have been a daunting situation because that room is so huge and the ceilings.
1: Yes, the ceilings are high. We did it though. They did like um, a disco lineup. So um, I think... The Weather Girls might have been I worked a lot with the Weather Girls, Linda Clifford, um, Franz Jolie, uh Vicky Sue Robinson.
0: You were kinda like the-, the first wives club, except for for female singers.
1: You know what? I never thought about that, but that's true. Yeah. Um, Evelyn Thomas, remember Evelyn Thomas? Yes. Oh, there's I, so, so many. Debbie Jacobs, you know, they used to book us. It was really fun because they would book us like five at a time and you'd show up at the at some city and and either work a theater or a huge club, Baltimore, D.C., a lot of D.C. tracks in D.C. Where, where are you now?
0: I am in Tampa, and yes, played, there was a track.
1: Yeah, I played, was it George's Alibi there or Copa? There was. There was. That's what I played
0: in St. Pete.
1: Yeah, that's where I played.
0: Um, but when you were really kind of kicking off your career uh, in the early 80s, I had moved to Atlanta. And the whole, the reason I moved to Atlanta was because of this fabulous bar that was right there in the heart of Midtown called Backstreet. Oh, I went no. there, I
2: went She's there, Atlanta.
0: I went there one night I had such an awesome time that weekend. The first time I went, it was New Year's Eve weekend. Such a great time. We decided that Monday that we were going to move to Atlanta, my boyfriend and I. We, oh. And we moved there the following weekend. So, um, and it that's it, a quick turnaround. It was. And Backstreet was um, also the bar that started this project. It was, a, I had started reminiscing about Backstreet, and next thing I knew, it exploded into talking about 2,000 bars that are no longer around. But I know you performed at Backstreet in Atlanta.
1: All the time. Backstreet Atlanta and Limelight. I used to go and, and do those two bars. Oh, my gosh, Backstreet Atlanta. Because I, I had been with Backstreet in Fort Lauderdale, and that's how I got to Backstreet Atlanta.
0: Yeah, they're the same owners, weren't they?
1: Yes. Who was the DJ there? I
0: uh.
1: Backstreet Atlanta, was that Bill Hallquist. I don't know. Bill, I think in Backstreet Atlanta, or he might've been lying. You know, the DJs, can I say something about the DJs? We never would have made it without the DJs because back then it was them. They did these reports every week and that's how you got charted. Yes. Billboard
0: reporting. The
1: The reporting DJs. They were so (laughs) important in my career. Yeah.
0: Now you mentioned Baltimore briefly. I know you you're from that area anyway. You're originally from, what, Philadelphia?
1: Yes. And,
0: and uh, so you're kind of based in that little mid-Atlantic basin there. And um, the very first gay bar I went to, I know you performed there, too. I didn't see it because I wasn't living in that city. But the very first gay bar I went to was in 1978, and it was in Baltimore on Eager Street. And it was known as the Hippopotamus.
1: Oh my gosh, the Hippo. Is <laughs> that a great bar?
0: It was. It blew That's my, where my I mind.
1: from Debbie Jacobs. She's from Baltimore.
0: And, um, and they lasted quite a while. They were there until, I think, 2015.
1: So I know, the Walgreens.
0: Yeah, some kind of drugstore, <laughs> Walgreens or CVS, or, CVS something. or something. It's so sad. But you still perform a lot up there, don't you?
1: Yeah, I did. I, you know, I had moved to Virginia then. But actually, you know what's really funny? When I was playing all those East Coast bars, I was actually living in L.A. at the time, and um, near San Francisco. But I would go to the East all the time in Boston. Gosh, I was at Lansdowne all on that street. Um, New York, Baltimore, Philly. I did Philly was with Sister Sledge. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) They're fun and Debbie Gibson. She
3: was there. Oh,
1: yeah. She owns, do you know that Debbie Gibson owns um, the mirrored piano that Liberace had? Wow. She owns that piano.
0: That's pretty cool. I
1: can't believe it. Yeah. That's, that's quite
0: cool. the souvenir.
1: I'll say. I'll say. <laughs> She's doing so well living out there in Vegas.
0: <laughs> so we recently interviewed um, a gentleman who has a longstanding bar in Arlington, Virginia, and recently opened a new location in one of your favorite cities, Rehoboth, Delaware, Uh, Freddie Lutz. And I know you've performed at his place too. What do you think about Freddie's?
1: I have to tell you, we just did Freddie's last month for Valentine's weekend. It's fantastic, but I've been at Freddie's five years. I go every year, every year to Freddie's in Arlington and it's, it's the happiest, warmest bar I've ever been to. Have you ever been to one of his bars?
0: I have not. I, um, I've seen many it. pictures.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the guy loves Barbie dolls. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am aware. And I understand there's even a Freddy Barbie doll. Or
1: Oh, there is a Actually, Freddy. Oh, yes. They made like an action like, and, and there's Barbie dolls everywhere. And, and the bars are purple and hot pink. It's And then he did the new one in Rehoboth Beach, just like it. And his sidewalk, are you ready for this? He's got hot pink indoor-outdoor carpet outside in Rehoboth Beach. And we can't believe the city let him put that down. (laughs) But when you go there, so I'm playing there again. I'll be there March 26th. I'm booked there again.
0: That's two days before my birthday.
1: Oh, are you March twenty eighth? I am. So you're Aries. I am. That's a good sign. <laughs>
0: All right then. It's it's worked for me for I don't know, sixty almost sixty-three years.
1: There you go. Sixty-three. I can't believe I mean, am I allowed to talk about my age?
0: You are absolutely allowed to talk about <laughs> I mean
1: this, this year is the big seventy for me and I you know, you never feel any older. Like just getting out of bed's a little harder and if you exercise too much, my hips hurt. <laughs> but other than that, it's like, you, you, I, I look and, and and I see, you know, your face, your lines change, but it's like you keep thinking you're going to feel like an adult. I always feel like a kid.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's all about the way you act and feel. It's not about, you know, how many years you've been on the planet. And, yeah. um, and with, you know, you're continued traveling and you're performing everywhere and the kind of energy you put into your songs and your shows it definitely kind of keeps you in that youthful mindset you know i don't envision you ever sitting like in a recliner wrapped in an afghan with big fuzzy slippers on groaning about all the pains you know i don't see you as that that um Invalid grandmother type ever.
1: <laughs> no. I don't think my husband always says to me, like, can you just sit down and relax? Just sit down and relax. I'm I have I don't know why. I'm just born with a lot of energy. I have a lot of energy. But you know what? Um one of the things when you're talking about Backstreet is I started joining groups, you know, and then I found that group I partied at Backstreet. Uh-huh. With And so I met Mitch. You know Mitch Grooms.
0: I do know Mitch Grooms.
1: That's another guy that has a lot of energy. He's fantastic. He is. That's a good group. That's a good group. If you love disco and you're out there, you want to join I Partied at Backstreet.
0: As a a testament to the popularity of that bar, Okay, Backstreet Atlanta opened in 1975. And they closed in 2004 five or four, depending on how you look at it. Uh-huh. It was the stroke of midnight New Year's 2004 to five. Wow. Um, and so they were, they've been closed now for over 15 years. And yet the group that you just mentioned, I partied at Backstreet has well over 10,000 members. Are, that's how much people loved the energy of the, of the disco era and the, you know, the big dance club era and bars like backstreet that's why this project has become so important to me because a lot of those stories would be lost if we don't record them now you know And you
1: know what else is great about those groups cuz you know I, I've traveled so much and so many things have happened but I can't remember every fun thing or every funny thing and so when you go on those groups when you say hi and stuff they will write you stories that say I uh, you you, uh, you pulled me up on the on the stage, and this one. Do you remember that night? And they and they will bring up things, and it brings back so many great memories. It was such. It was very Hollywood back then. It was like the forties because disco was so big that you would travel around in the limos and the and the wonderful hotels they put you up in, and the and the the discos were elaborate, and it got it. It was so exciting then. To what it, it, it was, yeah, to be in that era. And I didn't, you know, you don't really realize it when you're going through it, just like when I recorded songs, I, I was just recording songs that I thought were good and I wanted to make them great. I never knew they would go that far. Do you know what, what I Absolutely. mean? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. But when you do it from your heart, that's when it, yeah. You know, that when, that's when it really catches on. And you were mentioning that, you know, that whole disco era and club era Not only was there all this kind of glamour and glitz, it was the first time in the gay community, I think, that you really started to see bars that you were proud to walk into. They weren't little dive bars with dark painted windows. They were special places that that really kind of helped make the gay community what it was. And with people like you performing there, you know, it it just made us feel like we were important because we could go in and we could see a celebrity that had a hit record standing right in front of us on stage, smiling at us, talking about us, you know, talking to us, telling us that we were important and they loved us. And that made a really big impact on the community at large. You played a large role in that by, by touring all these bars and interacting with all these people that were in them.
1: See, I did. Thank you for that. I, I didn't realize that I didn't, I, you know, you, you don't realize you make an impact just when they, just the other night I was performing in Fort Lauderdale and this guy came, I mean, must've had five or six people come up to me and say, you just don't know what coming out of hiding meant to us. You don't know how the I was going through a hard time or I hadn't come out yet. And I heard that song and it just gave me, it empowered me, but you don't realize that it. it's, it's, it's quite humbling. <laughs>
0: it <is. laughs> and it's definitely true. I mean, I, like I said, I first went out to, the, to a gay bar my first time in 78. So it was right around the time you were kicking off your career there. Yeah. And that's what really made the difference. The, the hippo had that same kind of energy um, as Backstreet. It was a nice bar. It wasn't a little hole in the wall dump. No, Backstreet it
1: was, was a big, warm. Had a yeah. warm feeling.
0: You had a sense of community there. Uh, I'm sure as a performer, you felt safe walking in there. It I was did. not a bar that you felt intimidated that everybody was going to attack you. Or, you know, you knew that people there cared about you and liked your music.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the, for a, a, a straight woman that was, I was alone at the time and going around and singing, they, they embraced me. And I felt, I did feel safe. I felt, I felt loved, but not sought after. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, there yeah. weren't people out there stalking you. They were just admiring you and yeah. appreciating your your craft. Yeah. And um, so, and that, that whole era was just an incredible time. I wish we had a little bit more of that now, but we're starting to see some of the clubs. There are several uh, new gay clubs that have opened up um, in New York, in um, LA, in other oh, cities cool. that are... Um, I think gonna bring back some of that vibe. Um, I think Lam- the
1: world's ready for it. We're really ready for some joy, don't you think?
0: I think so. I think so. Yeah. And more places like Freddy's that are just fun, <laughs> happy places. It's like being in a box of Crayola crayons or something. It's it's bright and colorful and cheery.
1: I am telling. I'm telling you, it's the my husband even says it's just it's warm. It's it's happy. I'm gonna say Freddy makes you feel happy and he was there when I played the other night (laughs) he had his sparkly jacket on you know he plays the part really great Freddie is a wonderful front man you know when you come in you he's he's warm and he's greeting you and he's always dressed to the hilt and big smile on his face he's a funny guy
0: (laughs) I was going to ask you if he upstaged your outfit that night well,
1: I made sure that I wore the biggest drag queen necklace I could find. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I said on stage, look, I wore this necklace to try and outdo Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted it. <laughs> it was that aurora- what is that called? A ro- rainbow? It was like a Rory Boy Alice, that kind of crystal thing. Oh, it was oh like- yeah. Yeah. It's hard for me. Like, these are, these are pretty good size, but I'm used to, like, but I don't know how those drag queens get that those earrings to stick on with the glue. They are heavy. I don't want I, I don't want to
0: know. <laughs> <don't wanna> know.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm going to pass on that. <laughs> so you So you're 29 years old and you've been performing for <laughs> over 60 years.
2: That's it. That's
0: it. Um, and I understand that coming up soon uh, the end of this week, this, this Friday, you're going to be performing in Atlanta again.
1: Yes, everybody, if you're out there, you've got to come if you're near Atlanta. Where am I, honey?
0: Guac, guac- and guac- e. Margs.
1: I can't ever say it right. guac e Yeah, you want to come out there, and we're only on 8 to 10. It's two hours. You know what I do now? My show is not just my music. I take you through 50 years of dance music. See, I do everything from, I go all the way back to the early seventies. And then I end up doing Ariana, Lady Gaga, Katie. I take you all the way through it. Juice. I do it all. Yeah. It's, it's so fun. I do share. I do, I don't do impersonations. I'm the worst impersonator. I just do my, you know,
0: your katie. Okay.
1: My, I do my, I use backtracks from them, but I, I do, you know, how I sing. But I have to tell you, it's sing along, you dance. It's called Pamela's Party. I just take you, we, we party.
0: For two hours.
1: For two hours, a little vodka.
0: <laughs> Nothing wrong with take, that.
1: Take the edge off you. You guys taught me to drink vodka. I never had vodka before, y'all. <laughs> Tito's, if you're buying me a drink.
0: Vodka is good good
1: for you. Well, you know what? If you spray it on your shower, it'll get rid of your mildew. (laughs) Did you know that?
0: I did not. You heard it here first.
1: Oh, yes. Let me tell you, vodka has so many wonderful qualities. If you put your razor in vodka, it'll keep it sharper longer. If you get a uh, bite, let's say you're at the beach and you get a jellyfish bite, if you pour vodka on it, it takes the sting away. Vodka is very good.
0: So when Pamela is ready to stop singing, she's going to write a book on 1001 things to do with things vodka. Things to do
1: with vodka, besides drinking. <laughs> <laughs> you can clean your glasses with vodka. Yeah, well, cheap vodka. So in
0: 1979, that's when you released This is Hot.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: What, how did that come about? Did somebody present that song to you and say, hey, Pamela, you should sing this? Or where did that no, come I from?
1: It. I wrote it with a producer.
0: And what was the inspiration for the song itself?
1: Oh, you're going to love this. <laughs> okay. Now, I made my first album. I was taken to Germany. They wanted to make a White Dawn of Summer out of me. They discovered me in New York, which I had gone to New York to be on Broadway. And I was playing piano bars to make my money, you know, while I'm trying to audition for shows. And these German people came over and saw me in this production company. And so they took me to Europe. So I met this wonderful producer named Joachim Heider. And so he showed me the melody. He had written the song, you know, that kind of song. And he said, I want to write a song called This is Hot. And so when I lived in California, I had gone to college and fallen in love with one of the professors of my of my college and I wanted to go out with him so badly so for eight months I tried to get this guy to take me out so he finally took me out and we dated I was very busy we dated almost two years and so I was over there and I I couldn't get him to you know love me love me the way I wanted and so I write this song this is hot and so the lyrics are heaven waits before your eyes right here with me. I tell no lies. This is hot. I'm trying to tell him this is hot. Well, it turns out I got a great song out of him and I got like three songs out of him and he turns out to be gay.
2: <laughs>
1: <sighs> so I lost him to y'all. <laughs> but he's happy, very happy. And so I, no, I got over it.
0: <laughs> but I got three good songs out of
1: it. Pardon?
0: contribution you made to the gay community. <laughs>
1: he helped me, he helped me, but I didn't say his name, that was good this time.
0: So a few years later, you and your brother wrote another hit called, I don't want to talk about it.
1: I had, (laughs) yes, he wrote that. My brother wrote that. I produced it. He wrote it and he sent me a country song. I don't want to talk about it. And I was listening to my dance station and Michael Jackson came on and I was listening to the beat. And all of a sudden I started singing. I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, this is a dance song. So we went in the studio and worked on it and turned it into a dance song. And that went to number 13 on the charts. So then I called James back and I said, James, I need another song. My brother is James Lee Stanley. He's been a songwriter his whole life. And um, he's got 32 albums on his own, but he's more like pop James Taylor-ish, that kind of music. So anyway, then I said, I need another song. And he sent me Coming Out of Hiding.
0: And, and that's I, the song that you said changed lives of people in the gay community. That They yeah. came out and told you how important that song was to them.
1: That's right. It changed everybody's life. That song fit the gay community. It fit people that had been... Sick, you know, people that had just gotten through things, but mostly the gay kundis latched onto that song and it became an iconic song to this day. Truly, it changed my life. I've, you know, uh, that's what I've been known for is that song, and I must have sung it one million times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that song went all the way to number four. So that for the
1: whole year, for the whole year, that 1984, it was the top four song of the year
0: which is incredible. What is, what did that do to you in in your head? All of a sudden, five years after really launching your, you know, disco diva career, you're on top of the charts. What did that do to you? What did you think about that?
1: I was so thrilled. And you know what I I did? I wasn't an overnight success, so I really appreciated it. Do you know, I was, I was ready. Um, And all the television that I did and all the travel all over the world. It was, that's when it was really exciting. I mean, there other times were wonderful too, but once coming out of hiding hit, then, you know, people are lining up and you carried albums with you. And you, I, I would sign sometimes two hours after shows doing autographs and, and signing people's, I sign people's records to this day. They show up with a stack of, of my CDs and my records and, I signed them. So that song changed my life. And then the next two that followed were like continuums, but they weren't like coming out of hiding.
0: It was, uh, and, you know, by.
1: plus I did a video that was the video. I sent you the video, by the way, of coming out of hiding. I was producing that song um, with my husband at the time and we would take that song out after we mixed it. I would take it to a disco and play it and I would watch the dance floor because my my DJ friends would let me test the song. And as soon as I heard something didn't work, I went back and mixed it. I mixed that song four times before I released it and changed things because every single note is planned on that song. If you listen to it, every section has its own stardom. And I didn't want it to be just go down to drums and then you build back up. I wanted every section to mean something. And it did. That's it's my it's my favorite accomplishment I've done so far. I've done plenty since and I loved it, but that one I can't tell you was special.
0: Is that the ringtone on your cell phone?
1: <laughs> no, I, I know, but it's the ringtone on lots of people's cell phones. <laughs> You know, I I'm, I wouldn't play my own songs. I never listen to myself. You know, every if I'm making a record, I listen to myself. Then after the record's done, I'm so picky when I record that I hear every little thing like, oh, that bass part there should have been louder or that. So for six months, I won't even listen to it. And then I will listen to it, and I have fresh ears. But I'll go to people's houses, and you you, you play the songs in the background. I'll go, oh, my gosh, that is good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <That's
1: me. laughs> and then ask, good.
0: after coming out of hiding, the next year, you had If Looks Could Kill.
1: Yeah. Now, that one was very big. That was used in Arnold Schwarzenegger's. Oh, that's my sister. Hi, you guys. <laughs> I'm visiting my sister in Texas. <laughs> um after that i had uh it went on in arnold schwarzenegger's movie raw deal it was used in that movie
0: that must have been kind of exciting too
1: well it really was and i went to the movie theater to watch it and we're watching it and the song's starting and you see arnold in the disco and all of a sudden the camera swoops in and there's a drag queen lip syncing to my song and i said how appropriate
0: I'm sure it's not the first or the only time that's happened.
1: No. You know, it's really honorable when they do that. They I get I get videos of people all the time, even now that do the song. And you but give them LA, you, know, go ahead.
0: you give them quite a challenge because when you're on stage, you're dressed to the nines. I mean you go full Hollywood with yes. whatever you're wearing. And that definitely you know, makes it more difficult for people trying to lip sync to your songs or impersonate because they've got to, you know, okay. live up to that image. And even to this day, I mean, even sitting here right now for this interview, you are not wearing some little um, sundress frock thing. You have your sleeves cut. Off. It looks like you're ready to go to a party.
1: I am ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always ready. My husband says I, 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 I'm definitely social. My brother says I have a PhD in social butterfly. (laughs) (laughs) You know what we're on right now? We're on, we're calling it the Pamela Stanley friendship tour. I've taken, for the last five weeks, we have one week left. We started in Virginia where we live and we took it all the way down the East coast. And I've visited friends and bars places I used to play all the way down. And then we came up through the villages in Florida and then drove to Texas. And I'm in Texas right now. And he's met how many people, honey? 112. 112 people he has met (laughs) in five weeks.
0: All right, then. So what's your favorite bar that you've performed at in Texas?
1: I thought, you know, I'm not performing here, but let's see, I used to play, isn't that terrible? I can't remember. Oh, the Houston Astrodome. That was my favorite place I played. It's now a church. <laughs> yeah, So Osteen's church. He bought that church.
0: Of course that- he did. Yeah. Is he going to have you come back and sing there?
1: He's not asked me. Not even <laughs> a phone call.
0: <laughs> He's now, a good
1: speaker, though. Yeah.
0: Um, I know Dallas and Houston. Are you cl- you're closer to Houston now, or where are you? What part of Texas?
1: I'm, I'm actually in Conroe now, but I lived in Dallas, I lived in College Station, and I lived in Houston. I've lived in Texas. My, my family's all down here. So we all used to live down here. My mom and dad and my other, my I have two sisters that all sing. In wow. fact, tonight we're singing at church together. All right, then We're doing like a, um, a fundraiser for Israel. And good so we're, they asked me if I would sing with them. I said, okay, I'll sing. So they sent me my song. I learned a song.
0: <laughs> Something you've never sung before.
1: No, I've never. It's a really good song called Champion. It's a good song. You know, I love singing. I do. I don't just do dance music. Like I do jazz. I play piano. So I can sit down and do Ella Fitzgerald for you. all Frank Sinatra, all those people. And then I do uh, oldies. So I do Diana Ross and. Carly Simon. I, I I really, I love music. So the only thing I'm not great at is opera and rap. But pretty much, I do hard. I do them all. People will, like, throw songs at me. Sometimes it's just stump Pam. See what song she doesn't know.
0: <laughs> that must be a if challenge.
1: Sing 60 years, you've learned a lot of songs.
0: Probably so.
1: Well, you know what? When you're in the, in the dance prison, yes, there are times, like, I remember one time, I'm singing in a theater for 3,000 people. That was on a Saturday. And then the next Friday, the um, Police Benevolent Association hired me down in Florida. So when I get down there, they didn't even have a stage set up. They had me in a corner and there's hardly any lights. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, God you know how to keep me humble. One day I'm on the stage and the big lights and there's beautiful sound system. And the next week I'm in a corner in the dark.
2: <laughs>
1: That's a way. To, yeah. Cause when you sing, it isn't all, you know, up on the high time, there are low periods and this is my craft. So there were times that even after I finished singing uh, in, in the disco world, there were, times where I went back and I played piano bar for a couple months till everything picked up. Remember when disco died? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and then when disco died, I, I went back to piano bar a little while. And then in 86, when the music changed and it went to slow beats and all of a sudden people into that house music, they weren't hired as much. They're, they're like, there's dips in it. And if you are really going to continue to sing and I've never done anything else, but be a singer for the 60 years, um, you better be prepared. And you better be versatile and you better keep learning. Don't ever stop learning. Then you get stale.
0: Well, we can tell that you have a passion for, for music because as I understand on this tour that you're going you know, halfway around the country, that you come with your kind of self-contained Pamela Stanley show in, a, in a little RV van thing.
1: Yeah, I do. Well, my cute husband, he retired. He was a radio broadcaster for many years. And so he retired and he says I repurposed him because after he retired, I thought, well, look, you know, you're not working. Why don't you come with me? (laughs) And He is a visual guy. He loves the visual of a show. And so he started saying, well, you know, let's just get a geyser. Well, let's just get like a spotlight. And the next thing I know, we're we're traveling with a trussel. I've got lasers. I have uh, smoke machines. I have geysers. I have bubble machines and snow machines.
0: Please tell me you have a disco ball in that collection.
1: You know what? I had a disco ball, but I was playing a nightclub for a, a long period of time, and we put the ball up there. But I have to get a smaller ball. (laughs) <laughs> that I can hang cuz we need to do that. You're right. I need to, I need a disco ball. <laughs> and it's kind of hard cuz the trussle is behind me. Cuz now all la- all the lights seem to come you know it used to be yeah. all the front. Now it's all what's happening behind you. So it's a, it's a lot different. But uh, yeah, but I'm gonna, I'm bringing it to Atlanta. I'm going to this Friday when I'm in there they'll have the whole show.
0: Well, they will be looking forward to that. I know I've already heard comments about it. Uh, oh
1: good! Are you? You're not going to be there. You're down. The floor. I
0: will not be there. I'll be there we'll in Face spirit. I you, <laughs> and uh, and I know I know Mitch's video uh, capabilities. He'll be he'll snatch some video for me so I can see the show or at least parts of it. But um, you know, I I started a group similar to what you were saying about the Backstreet Group. I have a group on Facebook called oh. Gabe Archives that I started about. A year ago, a little over a year ago, and uh, we have about 4,800 members now that all reminisce, you you will, um, that all reminisce about old music and old bars and where they used to be and posting ads of a bar from 1968 or whatever they come across. And there's a real passion. I was just down in Fort Lauderdale this past weekend, and I know you were there last week. Yeah. In fact, I had dinner at the pub where you performed.
1: Um, Isn't that a lovely bar?
0: It is. That whole area because you that can whole walk. Area. Yeah. You can walk to like half a dozen gay bars, and uh, our guest house was three doors off of the drive, right at Sixth Avenue. There, so oh, I funny. could I could walk to all the bars and shops and whatever.
1: Did you go to the drink?
0: I did. Went to the
1: That's a nice bar too. Well, my husband and I were there all the time. We ate at Georgie's. We went to um, uh, Rosie's. Rosie's. We were all over Wilton now. I said, every time we went out, he goes, let's go back to Wilton Drive because it's it's the most fun. It's alive.
0: It is. It has a great energy. Yeah. There are are gay bars thriving there. Um, And
1: you can walk, like you said, you, you can walk all up and down the avenue.
0: Yeah. I had a great time there, and um, and the neighborhood is just so cool. There's um, a little bar down the street called Lit. There's um, Johnson's, which is a kind of beefy Chippendales kind of place.
1: Oh, I didn't go there. Uh, any- it's
0: right, yeah. They're right near um, between Rosie's and the pub oh. on the other side of the street. I
1: know. Okay, I see it.
0: So I know next it. time I- you go there, you can check those out. Okay. Um, but it was—it's a great. It was a great time. It's so relaxing to be down there, and and the weather was beautiful.
1: Yeah.
2: Um,
0: so, I wish just I could have been there for your okay, show, bar, but-,
1: but The next time you're down there, you want to go to this place on the beach called the Dunes. Have you heard of that? I have not. It's it's just a it's just a, a it's a restaurant bar on the beach. But I have to tell you, go out there just as you can see that you're on the water. It's. Gorgeous. It's very upscale. My husband and I really liked it. Anyone would like it. Dudes. dudes.
0: (laughs) So, out of all the bars that you've performed at, all the gay bars you've performed at over the decades, is there one gay bar that you wish you could resurrect and go back to?
1: It, It would be one of the back streets. I know that sounds funny, but it would. Um, Backstreet, Fort Lauderdale, Backstreet, Atlanta. Studio One was fun in L.A. You know, it's hard to pick one. And I like Studio 54, but I'm going to tell you honestly, there was something about Backstreet that, and the one in Fort Lauderdale. Did you ever go to that one? Yes. You know, it it was so big. And the people, the DJ, Bob Mirro, what a DJ. And I guess I spent most time there. But I have to think about the um, Backstreet in Atlanta, the Limelight, the Saint. You know, it's really hard to pick one. But I'm going to tell you, I think the East Coast bars might even, I'm trying to think of a West Coast bar. Dreamland was where (laughs) I have a great picture of, I sent it to you, Sylvester and um, Paul Parker. Do you remember Paul Parker? I do not. Oh, he was one of the only guy disco singers. You got to look him up. I will. He'd be a great interview, by the way.
0: I will definitely look him up.
1: Yeah, look him up and see, he did a song called Right on Target. He did a lot of remakes and he was one of, he was so handsome. He still is. Handsome, handsome guy. But he was one of the few male disco singers that were out. And we were booked together all the time. Yeah. Now, I'm sorry that I can't pick one. Is that bad?
0: No, it's not. Actually, it's a testament to the fact that we had such a a vibrant community back then.
1: Well, I mean, think about it. Tracks in DC, um, yeah, Studio West and Dreamline out there. Studio One, um, Uncle Charlie's. There, there, um, there. There's just so many bars around the country that. Oh, Paradise in Chicago. Look that up, Paradise. What a bar that was. You know what happened? I, I was never into drugs. It just wasn't me. I was I get so high on the music, and I didn't know that other people were like. I'm telling you, I'm like I didn't know people were doing drugs. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> oblivious. So I'm in Chicago and I'm playing the Paradise, which I played at least four times a year. So I was walking down, uh, I think it's Massachusetts Avenue or something in Chicago, and they I saw this red coat in the window, this beautiful red coat, and it had shoulder pads. It was when shoulder pads are really in, and and, and it was called, made by a company called Parachute. So I went back to the club and I'm telling on stage about this coat I loved. And I was sorry I didn't buy it because I had to leave the next day, you know. And I thought, why didn't I buy it? Why didn't I buy it? So and now back then, this is in the 80s, it was $200, which was a lot of money back in the early 80s. So at the end of the night, the two owners of Paradise came in and they took my hand and they put something rolled in my hand. And I thought, did they give me... Ch- so, I opened up my hand, and it was a hundred dollar bill in each one, and they said, "Go get that coat." He goes, "Everyone else wants drugs, and you you always ask for orange juice. <laughs> Go get the coat so, so I did. I went and bought that coat. I must have worn it for eight years. Love that parachute coat <laughs> These are the stories that come back to me the the great club owners and the djs and and the people.
0: Well, anytime you remember any of these stories randomly on your travels while you're going cross country or sitting at home with your husband, feel free to get on Gabe archives and share one of those stories and see. Okay.
1: What now, can you do it video wise? You, you do can post
0: a video in there as well. You can post photographs. You can just post text if you want. All it, right. And it's a it's a great group. And people really appreciate talking about things, you know, from the past. It's. It, it makes me happy. Every time I go to that group, I'm thinking, you know, when I first created it, I thought, well, maybe there'll be a couple hundred people that want to talk about this. Yeah. And in, in like a year, it's almost 5,000 and growing. And, it's
1: unbelievable. and I've
0: met so many of these people when I was in Fort Lauderdale, so many people from the gay bar scene have retired to Fort Lauderdale. So, oh, yeah. you know, if you ever worked at um, the Equus in Philadelphia, uh, the owner of the Equus lives in Fort Lauderdale now.
1: See, I think that's where I was. That sounds familiar. And I did radio there. Do you know what I have noticed? Because I do a lot of parties and it's every age, you know, they can be from 21 to 90. And if I want to get the dance floor going, I just take them back to seventies and eighties disco. And I'm telling you, it's the, it is a timeless music. It it was so, ha- it gets the party going every single time. And, I, and my husband runs the sound also, not just the lights and, and effects. And, and I can, we can look at each other and we know it's time. It's time to, to go back, put on Whitney, put on Cher, put on Donna, you know, put on Madonna, get it going. And I will tell you, the dance floor gets packed and then it's party the rest of the night. And they like the new songs too, but nothing like those old 80s discos. Oh, <sighs> I know.
0: <laughs>
1: Great, times. Great times.
0: Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your, your busy schedule to tell us some of these stories about your bar experiences and your, uh, and your music history and what you've been doing for the last 60 years. And uh, I just can't say no. Thank you so much. And we look forward to you. you having a very successful concert in Atlanta. I and know. everywhere Thanks. else you go.
1: Okay, thank you so much.
0: And and a special shout out to Chris. She's mentioned her husband several times. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate yeah. everything you did to make this right You're <laughs>
1: welcome, And you can always find us on Facebook, Pamela Stanley. Spell my name right, P-A-M-A-L-A, because if you spell it E-L-A, you'll end up with a psychiatrist in Florida. Okay. <laughs> <Are> <laughs> and you- I have Pamelastanley.com. Uh, Instagram, everything's Pamela Stanley that you can find me if you want to reach me or give me a little note.
0: Were you suggesting that I need a psychiatrist?
1: No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're close. I'll have to see where she is. I was so surprised. One time I was, they did a background check on me and um, there was a Pamela Stanley that came up and I had five counts against me (laughs) and here was a girl in Tampa by the way. And she, she had shot a rocket through her boyfriend's window. But, but thank God she was only 5'2", and I'm 5'5". Five five, so it wasn't the right one. <laughs> and she was a different nationality than me. So I was like, no, that's not me. They called. They started laughing. They said, you're not the Pamela Stanley that shot the rocket through them. I said, no, that's not me. <laughs> I know.
0: Your name was originally spelled with an E, though, right?
1: It was, but. I went and saw Funny Girl, and I saw Barbara Streisand up there. And at the end, I saw B A R B R A, and I said, "She dropped her A," and I picked it up. (laughs) (laughs) So I changed my spelling and I took Barbara's A.
0: (laughs) Well, there's an E
1: floating around if anybody needs it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It's been thank you. That concludes another episode of the Gabe Archives Show. For more information about this episode, or to find more episodes, visit GabeArchives.com.